Hey, Real Talkers, we don't know much about what an Alberta pension plan would actually look like. Up for debate, the amount Alberta could pull out of the national plan, whether or not contributions and draws would actually be higher or lower than with the CPP, who would influence where the funds would be invested, and how long the province's demographics would sustain an Alberta pension advantage. So basically, everything. We go on a fact-finding mission in this episode of Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, on the heels of the federal government releasing its fall economic statement, this episode of Real Talk is kind of focused on yours, regardless of where in the country you live, but most particularly if you're watching or listening to this from Alberta, from the western part of the country, we're talking about your retirement today. We're talking about your pension. It's part of an ongoing conversation we've had here on the show. We've been checking in with economists like Dr. Trevor Toome. We checked in with Alberta's finance minister, Nate Horner, and the opposition critic for finance, Shannon Phillips, today. We'll check in with the president of the Alberta Federation of Labor and the pension law expert that the AFL tapped on the shoulder to do a rigorous review of the plan, or at least what we know about what the Alberta government's plan looks like. As it stands right now, as Alberta muses about, kicks around the idea of seceding from the Canada pension plan to establish an Alberta pension plan, a provincial pension plan. We're going to dig into it. What are some of the unknowns? What are some of the red flags? Of course, we'll be looking to our live chat and our hashtag RealTalkRJ to see what you have to say about it. And obviously, this conversation will continue. This story is far from done. We're grateful to have you here with us participating in the conversation today. It wouldn't be happening without our friends at Rello, and they've got a really clear message for you right now. I mean, talking about pensions talking about retirements why don't we wind back the clock a little bit and talk about careers if you're feeling stuck or unsatisfied in your job right now is the perfect time to head back to school for a new career launching a rewarding career in real estate with rello's affordable online courses is a no-brainer their courses make it easy to pass your exam get your real estate license before you know it you're running your own business you're setting your own hours you're your own boss the earning potential is unlimited, plus you'll be helping people every day as they buy or sell their homes. This job comes with satisfaction baked in. You're helping people, and the best part about Rello is how committed they are to your success. They've got live instructors who host online exam prep sessions every Saturday, so you're never going to be caught on your heels, and they've got a ton of resources to help you launch your real estate business well after you've passed the exam, well after you've gotten licensed. Now, there's a great promo right now specifically for Real Talk audience members. You can save 20% on any Rello course with the code REALTALK. That's all one word, REALTALK. You can get started at Rello. That's R-E-L-O, Rello.ca. Well, depending on your circle of friends or, or who you chat things out with, maybe you're surrounded by people that think it's a great idea for Alberta to explore a provincial pension plan. Maybe you're surrounded by people that think it's a terrible idea chances are you're surrounded by people that just feel like they don't yet have quite enough information to make an informed decision. 
Today, we hope to give you some further insight as you decide or look to make up your mind. Heck, this could be going to a referendum. Albertans could be asked how they feel. You could be going to the polls, so to speak, to say yes or no to a very simple but significant question. Do you believe Alberta should pull out of the Canada pension plan? The president of the Alberta Federation of Labor has made it no secret how he feels about this. The AFL releasing a report in partnership with a pension law expert, Murgold, just a short time ago, reads the headline on the 35-page report, Big Risks, No Rewards. We're joined today by the president of the Alberta Federation of Labor, Gil McGowan, and Murray Gold, the author of this report. Murray's a senior partner at Kosky Minsky, and he's one of Canada's preeminent pension law experts. Good morning to you both. It's great to see you here. Murray, we'll get into the details of this report in just a little bit. But Gil, the question may seem obvious. Sometimes we ask obvious questions. Why was this a priority of the AFL to commission this report? Well, good morning, Ryan. Uh, it was a priority for the Federation because the AFL is uh, Alberta's largest worker advocacy group. Uh, we represent 175,000 workers in both the public and private sector. And uh, we also have a following of many working people beyond our membership. And we were hearing from both our members and from our supporters and workers just around the province. They were They were coming to us because they understand that uh, our organization and the unions that we represent, uh, we're experts in pensions. It's one of the things that we do. We we negotiate wages, we negotiate benefits, and we negotiate pensions. And in fact, um, personally, I, I sit on the board of Alberta's largest uh, uh, pension plan, the local authorities pension plan. We've been dealing with pensions my whole career. And, uh, and so people turn to us uh, for advice about this proposal that's been put on the table uh, by the uh, the Alberta government. And so uh, you know, it's been, I think, about eight weeks now since Daniel Smith made this suggestion. And so we've taken that eight weeks uh, to to break it down, look at its components, turn it over and um, and come to some conclusions. Um, and I'm not going to mince words. I mean, uh, after looking at what's been put on the table by Daniel Smith and her government, uh, what we're dealing with is not uh, an Alberta pension plan. It is an Alberta pension scam. It is a um, you know, a bunch of uh, empty promises built on a foundation of lies. And uh, um, and, and it's definitely something that Albertans uh, should not support. And if it ever goes to a referendum, we will be uh, vigorously encouraging them to vote no. Uh, quick follow up, Gil, when, when you call it a scam, when you say it's built on lies, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the, the amount that Alberta would be entitled to uh, the level of contributions Albertans might make, Albertans might make, and, and what they may draw from it is that kind of the basics. That's what I see people taking the biggest issue with right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so w what we did with our report, and as you said, it uh, the title says it all: no, no risks, uh, uh, big risks, no reward. That's that's basically the conclusion of our report. What we did uh, with the report in cooperation with Murray as our pension expert is we basically deconstructed. Uh, the uh, the UCP's claims and their promises. And basically they're making two claims. The first is that Alberta is over-contributing uh, to uh, CPP and therefore we should get out. Um, and then the second is uh, that if we were to leave, we could leave the pension plan with 53% of the benefits that are in the CPP plan, even though we have 12% of the population. 
both of those claims are are false. So uh, in terms of over contributing, the first thing I'll say is that uh, provinces don't contribute, individuals and businesses do, and they all contribute on the same terms. So we pay, you know, every Canadian, whether they live in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland or Castlegar, BC or Calgary, Alberta, they pay the same uh, con contribution rates and they get the same benefits. So there is no contribution, uh, contrib over contribution. It is uh, an accounting uh, trick uh, that is designed to fool people. The second claim that they make is that we could walk away with 53% of the fund uh, to the tune of uh, uh, $334 billion and that we could use that as the foundation upon which to build uh, an Alberta pension plan. But I mean, what we point out in the report is is that that's not going to happen, right? Because like CPP is, is actually not a federal program. It's a cooperative between all the provinces minus Quebec, plus the federal government, and it has a very particular governance structure. Um, you know, uh, you know, big changes can only be made to the plan if two thirds of the provinces representing two thirds of the population agree to them. And so, um, you know, the transfer amount will be negotiated. And um, I, I think you had Trevor Tome from the University of Calgary on your show recently, and uh, and and he made the same point. There's absolutely no way that the other provinces will let us uh, walk away uh, with more than half of the of the accrued savings in that plan because those savings are not just for us for they're, they're for for other Canadians and their retirement security as well so that they'll never happen and Trevor Tom you know he he suggested that a more reasonable amount uh would be something in the order of uh, between 100 and 125 billion dollars and what we did in our report is we took that number uh the more reasonable number and uh and and we played it through and that's where I say that, you know, like not only is it, you know, lies uh, that that's built upon, but it's also false promises because we every Albertan has heard these ads. Right. I mean, like we've been inundated with ads paid for with our own tax dollars. Uh, and, th and the big thing that we hear over and over again is this promise of fourteen hundred and twenty five dollars in savings every year for every Albertan. But what we show is if we get the smaller transfer amount, which is more more likely if we were to leave, not suggesting that we should. But if we did. Uh, if we got that smaller amount, then all the promised benefits, the, you know, the $1,400 and $25 savings, uh, the, you know, the, the, this thing that they introduced about a five to $10,000 retirement bonus, uh, which wasn't even mentioned in, in their own LifeWorks report, they just pulled it out to, add, you know, to, to add to the ads, <laughs> but none of that would be possible, right? So, so that's why I say that this isn't a, uh, an Alberta pension plan. It's an Alberta pension scam. It's it, it you know it, it's based on you know it's uh, it's it's false promises based on a foundation of lies. It, it all falls apart. Everything hinges on that transfer amount. We're never going to get that transfer amount. So all the things that they promise, all the benefits, the the shiny things that they they hold up to encourage people to vote against their best interest, none of it's possible. Uh, we'll let people know that we did have the economist Dr. Trevor Toome on the show back on October 3rd if they want to check that out that's also when the opposition critic for finance NDP MLA Shannon Phillips joined us on October 12th uh, the Honorable Nate Horner joined us Alberta's Minister of Finance making the argument for an Alberta pension plan uh, Murray welcome to the show I, I know that uh, people are going to be interested to hear a little bit about the process uh, how you studied this I, I suppose that that uh, something that, that could benefit uh, an argument against this is also something that might hamper an argument against this, which would be that there's simply not enough information readily available to rule on whether or not this is a good or bad idea. So take us into your process and putting this all together. Great. Uh, 
Thanks, Ryan. So, you know, pensions are uh, my life, but they're complicated and they're technical. And um, what I did is I started with the uh, LifeWorks report, the report that the Alberta government commissioned uh, from uh, a national actuarial firm. I noticed that it wasn't signed. <laughs> Uh, typically, we you know we deal often with actuarial reports, and it's important that the actuary sign the report, you know, put their name to it, stand behind it. So it was very unusual to see a report submitted by uh, by a major actuarial firm with no individual attribution and no signature. Um, I read through that report probably three times. Um, it, you know, it, it's uh, it's an unusual report in many ways. Normally, you have the data. You know, an actuary has the necessary data and makes the necessary calculations. In this case, they didn't, didn't have the data. You know, one big hole in the data, big, big hole, is that in order to, to figure out <clears throat> what Alberta might be owed under the terms of the Canada Pension Plan Act, the CPP Act, you have to know uh, where people made their contributions and more importantly, where they are receiving their benefits for contributions made in Alberta. So let me just unpack that a little bit. Let's say you live in Newfoundland uh, and you come out to work in Alberta at a work site in Alberta. The contributions will be treated from a, from a data point of view as being Alberta contributions uh, because you're employed in Alberta, the work site's in Alberta. Let's say you then retire to Newfoundland. You will then draw a CPP in Newfoundland, and the data will show that as a Newfoundland CPP, because you're resident in Newfoundland. Right? It will not show that that pension was earned in Alberta. It won't show that. We don't have data since 1966 <laughs> that tracks through who earned what pension where and where they live when they're drawing that pension. We don't have that data, and that's the data we need if we're going to pursue this formula in the CPP Act. So, you know, you ask about, about data and about, you know, the holes and the analysis. This is a big hole. This is a big hole. You have to reconstruct uh, what has happened since 1966, right? Who's made what contributions where? Who's moved where? Who's receiving their, their CPP benefit attributable to Alberta contributions where? And then you have to do the calculation based on Alberta contributions and benefits attributable to those contributions. We just don't have that data. Murray, can I jump in for a quick second? I, I, Daniel yep. Smith was talking about this at the uh, the Edmonton Chamber of Commerce hosted the, hosted the, the State of the Province address a while ago, maybe about a month ago. Uh, and she was there. And uh, the new president, former, obviously, cabinet minister, conservative cabinet minister, Doug Griffiths, was interviewing her. And he asked about this, uh, specifically what you're talking about, the portability of this, of the pension. Because a lot of people are wondering, what happens if I worked in Alberta but retire in Kelowna or return to Newfoundland or whatever the case may be? And she seemed pretty confident, uh, which, you know, a lot of skilled politicians appear to be confident no matter what. So read into that for what it's worth but she says listen portability on pensions is a regular concern that people have and we see it uh, play out flawlessly and seamlessly this is my paraphrase all the time she says when people change jobs when people change companies when people move to different parts of canada there's never been an issue there and basically her premise was we don't foresee that being an issue here 
How would you respond to that if she was saying that to you directly? Well, I would I would say that if she were correct, I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on pension transfers. They're not simple. Um, they they eventually, after years and years of sort of sorting out what the rules are going to be, you can eventually design a regime that you know at least is between private companies and the private sector that makes sense. You know, we we still don't have a very good regime in in much of the country uh, governing transfers between private plans. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's complicated, right? We have uh, lots of movement. We have spousal benefits. So you have to keep track not only of the member, but of the member spouses. Uh, maybe more than one is why I use the plural term. Uh, you have to keep track of their kids because they're children's benefits as well under the CPP. You need uh, a pension administration system that's capable of tracking all this stuff. And we don't have that. You know, we're talking about building something that is able to capture the movement of many millions of people over many, many years and to correctly uh, attribute the pensions that they've earned to them in the particular plan and move them around. It's not impossible, but it's a big job. You know, you can't take it for granted. We're going to get into more elements of this report, some of the key concerns. Um, but Gil, let me ask you this: Do you actually? I understand why the AFL has got to take action on this. I understand why the AFL is taking the position that it is. I get it. But do you actually think that this is ever even going to make it to a referendum, let alone move forward? Like, do you get the sense? I, I get the sense, and I've said this as much to friends of mine that are working as chiefs of staff right now that are working for this government. I think this is a play about something entirely different. I think this is a leverage play about something completely different. And I don't think that the Alberta government, despite the fact that this is an expenditure in the tens of millions of dollars on advertising this and, and investigating this and looking into it and promoting it and playing it out, but I don't get the sense that the Alberta government is actually serious about this. Do you? Well, um, I think you have a point. Uh, however, this proposal has been put on the table by the premier, by her cabinet. They're uh, spending a lot of money, our money, on on an ad campaign worth millions of dollars. Uh, the, the premier, when asked this very question, has uh, insisted that she's serious about it. So I think we have to proceed on the assumption that uh, that she is serious and take her at her word. And that means uh, getting information on the table uh, so that people can make better informed decisions. Because frankly, they're not getting uh, uh, unbiased information from the government itself. Uh, they, they, they talk about this as being a consultation, but I think anyone who's been paying attention will understand very quickly that this is not a consultation, it's a sales job. Uh, and that's not just the ads, they, you know, the taxpayer funded ads, $8.8 million worth of ads, but also the so-called consultation uh, with that panel uh, that's that's been having telephone town halls with Albertans. That's for, it's become really clear that that panel is just an extension of the ad campaign. Having said that, though, I, I think that there there's something in what you say. I mean, like it does feel like. Uh, this is about something other than retirement security, and from our, from my perspective as as a worker advocate and worker representative, that makes this whole thing even more despicable because uh, you know they're 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 creating anxiety, uh, even fear uh, among working Albertans, among retirees, 
you know, because keep in mind, I mean, uh, in the same way that wages are the cornerstone of economic security for working people, pensions are the cornerstone of economic security for retirees. So people pay into these into CPP, they they plan around it, they count on it, and uh, now it's all being called into question. And and so there there there's a wave of anxiety uh, sweeping across this province. And and if it's just so you know, and they're creating this anxiety and this fear uh, just so they can you know score political points, own the libs, um, that's despicable. It, it, they should be ashamed of themselves. I, I think it's also important that people remember that uh, we just had a, a provincial election campaign, right? So back in May, uh, Daniel Smith uh, explicitly said that uh, uh, that this idea of an Alberta pension plan would not be part of her, her, her platform. The implication was that she wasn't going to do it. She even went so far as to say uh, that she wouldn't touch uh, 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 the pensions of Albertans. But then like three months later, she did exa exactly that. So how on earth can, and, and I think that what we're hearing from our members, and we, we get calls, uh, we get calls from our members all the time on many issues. I've never seen the kind of tidal wave of phone calls and emails from our members uh, that we've been getting on this issue and, and uh, any other issue. This is this is the, the, the highest level of concern I've ever seen. And what they're saying is that, if Daniel Smith had run on this proposal to pull uh, Albertans and re Alberta uh, workers and retirees out of the Alberta pension plan, she would not be premier right now. And I think that's true. But but instead, she's playing politics with our pensions our, and our retirement security, and she should be ashamed of herself. You hear the assertion, uh, Murray, from people, I think, you know, just the everyday folks and, and, and ever sort of want to mock these type of people, because I think this is the average person that's got a lot going on in their life. They do their best to stay up with the news headlines, but the, but they don't have an hour and a half every day to to listen to a podcast as great as this one that would that would give them all the information they needed to truly understand the world around them. But what they do know, or what they've been led to believe anyway, is that they've been over contributing to this, that they're being treated unfairly, that Alberta is carrying a heavier yoke. That it's just the same as equalization. T take my comment with a grain of salt. I'm speaking on behalf of this person. That basically the CPP is another example of how Ottawa is screwing Alberta. What would you say to that person, Murray? Well, I'd say that's just not so. Right? Every Canadian, whether in Alberta or British Columbia or Newfoundland, contributes on exactly the same scale to the CPP. And every Canadian, regardless of where they live and work, takes this takes a benefit on exactly the same scale right there's no discrimination based on province of residence none what is true is that alberta is blessed in some ways it has a younger working population it has fewer retirees than the typical province and people in alberta make more money they're higher wage earners than in the rest of the country so if you're a higher wage earner you pay more contributions than a lower wage earner you also get, at the end of the day, a higher pension, right? It's a question of timing. Contributions today, higher pension tomorrow. If you're younger and you have fewer retirees, then you're, again, paying more in contributions because you have more active young working people and you have fewer older people drawing a benefit. So, you know, when you, when you look, you take a moment in time snapshot, what you see is a higher wage population that's younger and that's therefore paying more contributions on average today. But tomorrow, when these folks retire, they will get 
benefits on exactly the same scale as every other Canadian for those contributions. That's why you can't look at pensions at one moment in time, right? It's like looking at uh, at an RSP of a 40-year-old and comparing it to a 70-year-old. So the 40-year-old the is contributing. Look how much I am contributing and how little I'm taking out. And look at the 70-year-old. Look how much I'm taking out and how little I'm putting in. Well, you know, that's kind of meaningless, right? You have to look at the life of the 40-year-old and the life of the 70-year-old. Just like in a pension plan, you have to look at the life of the plan. Yes, people contribute more when they're young. You have more young people, you have more contributions. But when those people get old, older and retire, they'll get more benefits. So, you know, I I, I just think it's, um, it's playing with numbers. It's playing with a snapshot in time. It fails to recognize that pension plans are really long-term uh, institutions. And you have to take care of them over the long term. You can't be focused on what's, what's happening today, whether they made money, whether they lost money, whether they made a good investment, made a poor investment. I mean, it's a long-term proposition. And the final thing I'd say is it really comes down to trust. I understand that people don't trust governments in general, don't trust institutions in general. Um, but the the magic, one of the good things I think about the CPP is the governments have a hell of a time changing it. You know, as Gil said, and he knows a lot about pensions having worked in, on the on in the trenches for many years. One of the things about the CPP is that to change it, you need two-thirds of the provinces with two-thirds of the population and the feds to agree. That makes it in, in Canada's federal system virtually impossible to change. If you create an APP, an Alberta pension plan, you need one government with one mandate to change it. That's that's what happens to benefit security. You go from a lockbox, which is the CPP, to a situation in which one government in one term can change it and reduce it. Right. And, 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 you know, these benefits, they're earned, but in some ways the guarantee is political, right? We will stand behind it, say our governments, people will make the necessary contributions to pay the benefits. That's what we've done in Canada. Once you change the political protection, the political formula, you don't have that anymore. Well, you can imagine that it's a much more vulnerable, much riskier proposition. And when it comes to retirement income and retirement savings and security after you, you can't work anymore, you got to be very careful about doing something like that. Uh, Maureen, in a second, I want to ask you about how other pension plans are, are directed. Basically, who's making the call on how the money is invested? I want to ask you about the CPP. I want to ask you about how they do it in Quebec. Uh, Dr. Toom talked to us about how their model is a little bit different. And some of that money, some of those funds have been used to invest in infrastructure in Quebec, as an example. I see Alberta Girl in our live chat saying, you know, uh, Alberta Girl's concern is that maybe the APP might be used to finance pipelines. Um, I mean, obviously, you'd still have to get those pipelines approved, but I digress. Uh, but I want to touch on this, Gil. <clears throat> Gil, you and I have been doing interviews for 15 years you've never been afraid of a few fastballs high and inside uh david is in the live chat right now he says here's gill uh, creating fear again uh kenzie in the live chat says it's it's not the united conservatives that are fear-mongering it's this guy it's gill what would you say to people like david and, and kenzie that are feeling maybe pretty chill about the idea of an app they're not concerned that they're going to get screwed over and, and they they think that you're making a lot of noise about nothing well i i <laughs> i've heard that before uh and and I think you know I'm I'm seen as an opposition figure in the current conservative environment, so it's not surprising that uh, you know members of the conservative government and uh, their supporters will come after me. Uh, but but 
in response to that accusation, I would just say it's not just me. <laughs> uh, in fact, um, if you if you look around, uh, there there are very few people outside the circle of the government who think this is a good idea. And that's one of the things that we did when we were putting this report together. We we read everything we could get our hands on. We talked to people. Uh, you know, we talked. We we looked at the work that was being done uh, by experts in Alberta, like Professor Tome from the U of C. We uh, considered the stuff that was being written by experts in other parts of the country. Uh, you know, we we talked to other pension law experts, actuaries. There is no one in this country that thinks this is a good idea outside of the the narrow UCP circles. So, um, if I'm a fear monger, then what about everyone else, right? I'm, I'm you know, th there's no one that's giving this the stamp of approval, and I think. As Murray said off the top, I think it speaks volumes that uh, the people working for LifeWorks, the actual firm that the government tapped to write the report that justifies this plan, they wouldn't even put their name to it, which is very unusual that uh, that an actuary wouldn't put their name to their work. So not even their own actuaries are willing to stand behind this. So I think that's uh, you know that should give people pause. And uh, so that's how I would respond to this notion that uh, that I'm, I'm fear mongering. What, what we're trying to do is uh, is raise a red flag because um, what's being proposed here is is, is radical. Uh, it's risky, and we would argue that it's irresponsible. And uh, we feel as as a labor movement representing workers in this province, we have an obligation to raise those red flags. It's not fear mongering. It is providing uh, a much needed alternative voice. Um, an alternative to the voice that is being magnified with tax dollars through these uh, this tidal wave of advertising. So all we're trying to do is, in our small way, trying to balance the scales. It's it's a it's an uphill climb when considering how much money they're spending on the on the sales job, and uh, but and that's what it is. It's a sales job, and we're we're just trying to you know raise a red flag and and offer some alternative information information uh, that is actually supported by all the experts, everyone who knows anything about pensions knows that this is a bad idea. Uh, Murray, I think it, it's safe to say that the majority of people that would inherently immediately push back on this are people that for very good reason are concerned about their nest egg. They're concerned about their income stability. Uh, many people are on fixed incomes. Inflation is a real thing, uh, relevant perhaps now more than it has been in the last 20 years, uh, 30 years maybe. And a lot of people, uh, for them, this is a matter of how they're going to cover their costs. And so I think that Many of the people that we talk to, we get a lot of emails. Obviously, we get a lot of comments on our YouTube and, and on our social media posts. People just are concerned about political interference. They're concerned about politicians. You know, I mean, Jason Kenney kind of got away with, I mean, I guess not. He's not premier anymore. But 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 that government like got away with throwing a billion dollars at, at a failing Keystone XL pipeline project. Um, you know, I think people are concerned that, that a government based on ideology might seek to direct a pension plan to support areas where that government hopes to see bullish investment, where that government wants to send a message to industry, maybe even where a government wants to reward its friends. Um, how is the CPP protected from political interference? If so, how might that compare to how they run things in Quebec? Uh, Quebec, of course, has never signed on to the CP, uh, CPP. And what would be some of the concerns you might have about the way that an APP, an Alberta pension plan, might be managed? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I think it's one of the most important risks that an APP carries. So CPP 
has a statutory mandate. Again, uh, it requires two thirds of the provinces, two thirds of the population, government of Canada as well to change, focused on two things and two things only, an investment mandate focused on risk and return. Classic investment criteria. Don't take too much risk, get the best return you can for the risk you do take. It's in the statute, it's hardwired, uh, their board is legally obligated to pursue only those two objectives, and that's it. That's how the CPP is run. That's why it's been so successful. Uh, it has uh, outperformed most uh, other pension plans uh, of its scale in the world. Uh, it's extraordinarily well-respected and has terrific uh, investment opportunities as well for the future because of its organization. Uh, Quebec has gone a somewhat different route they they have investment objectives but they also have quebec industrial development objectives they try to marry those two things uh aimco which is the alberta investment management company it's responsible for managing the public sector uh, pension assets and certain other assets in alberta they actually have in their statute provisions for government directives right and this is the risk that you have with a single province once you escape the CPP lockbox. The risk is that one government with one term can meddle with an Alberta pension plan in a way that can set it back for decades. It's hard to do well. It's easy to screw up. One screw up can damage a pension plan and require decades then to recover. Right. Pension plans are steady as you go. They need to be managed well. They need to be managed for the long term. They can't be subject to political influences in the shorter terms and the near terms for political advantage. And if they are, it's easy to wreck them. So I think it's one of the biggest risks uh, of, of a go alone APP. Um, in closing, uh, grateful for both of your time. I just want to ask you this. This, this isn't the first time. Uh, that an Alberta pension plan has been discussed or thought about, that the idea has been bandied about. Um, it, it's been going on for years. It's, there have been, you know, casual or, or more serious looks into it in the past few years. Do either of you, aside from the maybe the marketing campaign, the advertising campaign, do either of you get the sense that there's something different about this go around? I mean, you could say there's a new premier, obviously. Uh, Gil, do you get a sense that, that this one's more serious than in past or that the outcome here might be more tangible than in past? What, what does your gut tell you? Well, you're right, Ryan. This idea about pulling Alberta workers and Alberta retirees out of the Canada Pension Plan has been floating around in Alberta for probably at least 40 years. Um, but up until now, it's been on the political fringe. Um, you know, previous conservative governments have, you know, given it passing notice uh and they, they and they've they've looked at it and they've always rejected it in in um but what's different now is that this fringe idea has moved to the political center and i and it has a lot to do with the fact that the ucp is not uh our parents conservative party um it, it is sort of a maga tinged tba dominated uh new kind of conservative party and so and it's welcomed in the, the, these fringe ideas, right? And uh, and I would actually go so far as to say that this is part of uh, a separatist project. Um, you know, th this is a government that, because Alberta politicians and governments uh, have long, 
you know, seen the benefit in starting fights with Ottawa, um, you know, to distract from uh, the challenges at home. It's an, it's an easy political game, but this is something more than that. Um, the, you know, there's a project going on, uh, you know, that in, includes other discussions around things like, you know, the, the story that they make up about equalization, the, this notion that, that Ottawa is against uh, our industry. None of these things are true, but this is, they're adding this, on, this fuel onto the fire. They're, they're rage farming. They're trying to divide Albertans from uh, the rest of Canada by mischaracterizing the nature of the, the Canada pension plan, as we've been discussing. And so that's why this makes me much more concerned. This, is, this isn't just the standard, you know, sparring between Ottawa and, uh, and Edmonton. Uh, this, this, is, this, this feels like part of what I would describe as, as a separatist project, which, is, which conservatives traditionally have Alberta pushed off to the side, but now it's being embraced in the centre. That's, that's, that, that makes me very concerned. Murray, you didn't sign up to take this question, but I just can't help myself from asking you if this did go to a referendum, like in for, for all the reading and investigation you've done on this and putting this 34 page report together. If this were to go to a referendum today in Alberta, what do you think the outcome would be? What does your gut tell you? It tells me it would be a mistake to vote. Yes. Um what you know what, what uh, you know campaigns are you know beyond my pension expertise bailiwick to, to be frank politics are are a little bit beyond me but i know from a substantive point of view from the point of view of protecting members retirements protecting their retirement income security this would be a mistake that's murray gold a senior partner with koski minsky um in 2021 murray was awarded by the way the oba pension award for excellence in pension and benefits law uh, he's the former uh, director of the Ontario Retirement, Retirement Pension Plan uh, back in 2016. Uh, Gil McGowan joining us as well, the president of the Alberta Federation of Labour. Thanks for both of your time. We appreciate you bringing this perspective to the table. Thanks very much, Ryan. You got it. Uh, you can let us know what you think on this. Uh, I, I see. I, I love to see this in the live chat. we got people coming at this from different directions. Um, and there's a lot of mudslinging right now. But also, uh, some people who I think it's it, it's a good idea uh, they're arguing for Alberta to pursue this. Uh, I think the majority of people in the chat disagree with that. Um, Ken says, I have no doubt an Alberta pension plan would be advantageous at the start, given Alberta's demographics. I also know the government's history at managing savings, and it's terrible, he says. Uh, so, you know, uh, Kenzie, by the way, um, I think that's a relatively new name in the chat. Welcome, Kenzie. He says, not one of you see an issue with investing uh, much of the CPP with China or in China? I don't know. It's kind of where industry is happening. John, I have a self-directed. It's kind of where everything's made. I have a, I have a, a self-directed. And, and, and a lot of people will, will, will say, well, you, you shouldn't invest in, in uh, you know, you shouldn't invest in countries that have, uh, you know, or, or countries of origin, let's say, in businesses or industries that, where, where there are human uh, rights issues of course um, and then you realize that we as a nation and as individuals and, and maybe even your RSPs or your mutual funds or whatever are probably uh, in bed under three layers of duvets <laughs> yeah. uh, with the Saudis with the Chinese I was just gonna uh, say and with everybody else yeah if uh, you don't want to support uh, you know, issues that you think relate to communism and human rights, then don't drive a car, don't use a phone. Don't use and, an iPhone. You know, 90% of the tech in this room made in China. So. Not, not, not to dismiss 
the ethics around our consumer behavior, and no. that's great. Um, I will Most say that— Most people don't know. No, you know— They, and, don't, they don't care. And, uh, you know, you look at, you know, the well-managed funds. I have, I have a, a small self-directed <laughs> fund, like on, on my iTrade, oh, I uh, where, where I can, like, put in some money and buy yeah. this stock and buy sure. that stock and trade it. Yeah. And uh, at the outset of it—this was many, many years ago when I set it up— um, for about the first three or four months, I looked like a damn genius. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't believe that I had been giving any money to investment advisors because my early returns were so impressive. Yeah, um, I was I was on the uh, road to Easy Street, John. Isn't that how uh, it always is? And uh, now, um, it's a nightmare. It's a total disaster. And and uh, I thank my lucky stars every single day mm. that I did continue. Uh, to make some of my meager earnings available to professional investment advisors as well. Why? Because what was I doing? I was investing on whims, on tips. I've heard people say, if plebs like us, if investment advice or tips, if hot tips on investments have trickled down to plebs like us, Mm -hmm. those ships have already sailed. Mm -hmm. You know, if your friends are that really have no business... Uh, are not investment advisors, they're not stock traders, they're not industry experts. If they're telling you about things that are going to happen in industry, and every once in a while, somebody, I mean, I think sometimes they call that insider trading, Mm -hmm. but every once in a while, somebody will get a hot tip from somebody in the know. You should buy this stock or you should dump this stock. Uh, But for the most part, we don't know, which is why you want to believe that your retirement savings, your funds, let alone hundreds of billions of dollars worth, the mm-hmm. retirement savings of millions of people are being managed in a way that is free from political influence and interference and the like. By experts. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the big reasons why a lot of people here, you see some, some of the critics of the critics saying, well, you, you, you people are hysterical. You know, you're hysterical about this idea for an APP. I've had people reach out to me and say, why are you so, remember this, I read an email just last week on the show. Somebody said to me, why do you hate the Alberta pension plan. This was in the flamethrower last Friday. I said, I, I said, I don't hate it at all. I don't hate it because it's not a thing. It doesn't exist. How do you hate something <laughs> that doesn't exist? How do you hate something where there's no details? Yeah. But in so many ways, as uh, you may push back on the idea of it or you may initially support the idea of it, it's impossible to completely support or not support it because you don't know mm-hmm. what it looks like. And that's where we're at right now with it. Yeah. Stock market is a is a very confusing thing. And I love that you're talking about that. That new uh, movie's coming out with uh, Seth Rogen and others about the GameStop, the big uh, oh, yeah. s- stock. Uh, that was a, what, 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 that what was word wild. do you want to use for that? Boondoggle, whatever you want to call. But but, you know, the little guy like you're talking about flipping the stock market on its ass. It's called dumb money. I can't wait to uh, view that. But that, that was a time where because you're talking about this, like most people. They know a little bit about investing. They know a little bit about stocks. And you can sometimes, on a whim, which most of getting money through stocks and, and you know, Forex mm-hmm. or whatever, it's all about feeling, right? But the majority of the time, uh, the big guy's always going to win, right? So I would rather, especially with stuff like pensions and long-term investments and things that that have to do with how the market moves and stuff like let's just leave that to the experts. And I'm not saying people that we should just, you know, trust 100%, but... I think you're right with that. But hey, Ryan, we still have our, what, uh, 116th Bitcoin that we invested in together. Oh, you speak for yourself, <laughs> pal. Speak for yourself. Um, I, hey, I, I'm not going to, listen, we, we can talk about this for a quick second. No problem. 
Uh, but I want to be clear, and because you got to do stuff like this in our line of work, we are not providing investment advice. Never. Do not listen to us. Well, no. listen to us, but don't act on what you're hearing. Never invest your money based on what you hear me or John say. No. Uh, that would be a terrible idea. Uh, but Bitcoin is rallying right now, man. It is a bit. Big yeah, time. Yeah. And all the experts, uh, you know, I, I, I've had a few people kind of chirp us about because this show, the presenting sponsor of this show for a couple of years was mm-hmm. was a Bitcoin company. And um, and then things and, went uh, bad well, for a while there. Well, they they uh, they did. I mean, Bitcoin ebbs and flows and there have been yeah. these surges and then and then it kind of corrects and then surges and it corrects. And, and people that are big into it have said, well, the next round the next surge is coming and and right now that is the case yeah. so uh people that are still bitcoin is not i'm not a disciple of bitcoin no. but i'm very intrigued by it and on the advice of a, of a good friend who like grabs me by the shoulders and looks into my eyes a fellow by the name of jc who listens to real talk all the time he said do not he said promise me one thing do not sell your bitcoin he said do not sell your bitcoin and so we're hanging on to it looking- and we'll see and i'm prepared for it to go to zero <laughs> but what if it doesn't go to zero? No. Right now, if you got one Bitcoin, it's worth 50 Gs Canadian. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's rallying again. But here, listen, would you, you know, remember when Pierre Polyev was musing about Bitcoin about a year ago, right? <laughs> yeah. Was that about a year ago, I think? Yeah. And he hasn't talked about it much since because it became politically inconvenient for him mm-hmm. when it started to nosedive. I believe he was calling it uh, was insurance against inflation or protection against inflation or something mm-hmm. like that. But that's another example um, you know, whether or not an Alberta government, you know, or, and I hate to put it that way, but let's just say political interference may be applied, political pressure may be applied uh, to the management of an Alberta pension plan in a way that might support traditional earning economies, high performing economies in Alberta, like energy, like oil and gas. You know, what if ideologically or otherwise an Alberta pension plan invested heavily in Bitcoin? I mean, the payoff could be massive. <laughs> Or it could be a huge disaster. People don't want to sort of feel like they're strapping into a roller coaster Mm. without any clear idea of what the outcome might be when it comes to their retirement savings. And that's why I think a lot of people are inherently nervous about this kind of stuff. I think everyone's nervous. Even even the people who say they're for it are kind of like, well, what a, this is a dice roll, right? This is a 50-50. Uh, shouts out to Ken, speaking of investment, who just said, a little cash for the beer pension oh, fund, boys. Ken. Five bucks on the super chat. Ken Ken is uh, is often doing that as a, as a way to say thank you uh, for content that he appreciates on the show. And uh, you can do that as well with the super chat if you want to uh, toss a few bucks our way. It, it uh, Usually, like with our Patreon supporters, with our patrons, we say, you help us improve the quality of the show, which is true. We invest mm-hmm. in other journalism. We bring on some independent journalists, and then we're able to to you know essentially fund some of their work. And a, and a thank you on behalf of our patrons. Uh, you've helped us purchase new cameras, new lights. We really appreciate that. With the super chat, we're not lying to you. That's straight into the beer fund. That is just <laughs> we're never going to lie. The, the 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 beer pension fund, like Ken is contributing to in the super chat. We're not buying any lights with that. <laughs> Maybe Bud Lights, Coors Lights, yeah. other lights, uh, but we will they will all be in liquid form. And Ken, if you keep up on this pace as our number one Super Chat contributor, uh, we're getting set. Uh, we're soon going to be in a position where we owe Ken a few beers, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which I'd be happy to we'll do. send him some merch or ha- something. Happy to deliver. Send yeah. him a little treat. We can make that happen. <laughs> um, of course, this isn't the type of show where we're going to take just one perspective and roll with it and 
slam all the others. We did uh, interview Alberta's uh, finance minister, Nate Horner, and mm-hmm. that was back on October 12th, if you want to hear that interview. Uh, we've dubbed it, we titled it the Alberta for, uh, the argument for, the argument for an Alberta pension plan. But I saw, I think it was Cactus Sheriff in the live chat that said, was it though? Was it really the argument for an Alberta pension plan? Uh, Cactus Sheriff basically said, I didn't feel like the minister really kind of like went heavy on that. And that comment resonated with me because Minister Horner comes across as like pretty steady, pretty even keel in that interview. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't like he's not he doesn't bang the table and and talk a whole bunch about the, the Trudeau Singh alliance, the no. liberal NDP alliance and and decades of Alberta being screwed by Ottawa. He doesn't really come across that way. Uh, Wasn't a lot of ping pong. He no, just he, he answered kinda, your question. Yeah, he was kind of like, yeah, here's our perspective. Here's mm-hmm. where we are right now. Here's what we're going to wait and see. Uh, so, um, you know, and of course, we're open to other perspectives as well. I've, you know, I, I have received emails from some of you that have said, well, you got to get this person on the show to, to argue for the pension plan. You got to get this person. I've read, we take those seriously, and I've read some of the work that these people have released. And, a lot of it is just based on these assumptions that the experts like Murray Gold, who's like a pension guy, he's an awarded pension expert. He's you know been a director of Ontario's pension. Like I mean, the guy, this is his career, this is life's work. Saying this stuff is all. Uh, Doctor Trevor Toome said the same thing, like fallacy. Like it's just not true. It's it's not a fact. In so many ways, is you know we might not bring somebody on to talk about how the Earth is flat. Uh, because it, you know it can be proven. I know for some of you this is going to be news, but it can be proven to be <laughs> untrue. But if there's a compelling political argument for it, as an example, or or if somebody wants to just say, "Hey, listen, here's my personal view." Like I don't want to hear about the fifty three percent because virtually nobody agrees. I mean, not even the finance minister agrees that that's possible. You'll remember the one thing that he said on the show. He said, "We believe it could be a range of this to this. What Alberta may pull out." And many of you pounced on that in the chat immediately and said that was a range of about $100 billion. (laughs) That's a pretty big range. So, you know, here we are at this stage in the conversation, but we're happy to continue to have it. We're grateful to have you here with us. Listen, let's take a break from all of this. Um, We're still going to talk about money, but like in a fun way, uh, Black Friday is coming up. uh, But in Jasper, they don't call it Black Friday. In Jasper, it's Moonlight Madness. And on this edition of My Jasper Memories, presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper, we want to let you know what's going on in Jasper National Park, the crown jewel of Canada's national parks, this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's an amazing time to get a great discount at many of Jasper's unique retailers. Okay, so number one, for the gear junkie, uh, the new mountain equipment is out and all the shops are ready to make sure that you are well-equipped and geared up for the season to come. Experiences are amazing gifts, of course, but there's something undeniably fun about getting new gear that'll enable future adventures. And so all of Jasper's retailers have incentives on this weekend. Visit them in person, pop in. I love window shopping in Jasper. So wonderful. You stop at the breweries along the way, John. It's like Whoville during the holidays. I love it. So great. It's so great. Now, for your loved ones, there's cabin getaways uh, that'll stack up against the best in the country. I mean, Jasper is Canada's cabin capital, and nothing says cozy like relaxing fireside with a glass of wine and delicious comfort food. Jasper National Park has four different winter cabin properties. Uh, In particular, 
If you're staying at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge, that's one of them. You can also inquire about a winter sleigh ride. How great is that? Uh, They're getting a bit of snow out there. I saw seven centimeters new, by the way, overnight at Marmot Basin. Uh, For the friend who loves the deal, there's the Marmot Escape Card as well, which is a great way to invest your money. Uh, Snagging an amazing discount, almost as fun as hitting the slopes. Uh, Check out SkiMarmot.com. As soon as I see the landscape at Marmot Basin. I wonder, what are we doing in this city right now? We need to get out there. (laughs) Get yourself a Marmot Escape card, which gives whoever that cardholder is half off lift tickets. Uh, There's no small print here. 50% off lift tickets all season long. You go, yeah, but what about all the blackout days? No blackout days, no lines, all happiness. And with Marmot's unique parking lot layout, you can ski straight back to your car to enjoy a packed lunch. Of course, there's limited capacity at the chalets, especially on those busy days. I don't think I've ever waited in a lift line for more than 15 seconds at No, Marmot it's pretty Basin. good there, yeah. It really is unbelievable. Don't forget they have that new knob quad chair, which is opening next month. Well, it's opening in a couple of weeks in December. Uh, and again, 7 centimeters new. You can learn more there at SkiMarmot.com. Everything we're talking about, you'll find it online at Jasper.travel or just check out the show notes in this episode of Real Talk on Podcast on YouTube. My Jasper Memories is proudly presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. Johnny, it's working. Tony just shot us five bucks in the live chat, says, here's a fiver for a great show, and I want to be invited to the beer party. Oh, now everyone's coming to the party. I think we need to get a whiteboard in here with, with, a, with a marker, and I think that every time somebody tosses a few bucks our way, I think their name goes on the list, and when we do the first Real Talk kegger... <laughs> You're invited. <laughs> I think that super chat might look pretty good after that. Ten, that might, uh, an 8, 8 a.m. kegger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know if the keg would be the better idea, if you might want to go with yeah. cans. The, day, the days of the kegger, where, where there, there are so many beer options now these they're days. Kind, they're kind of gone, eh? Because everyone's, somebody just commented, everyone's into the craft beers and That's stuff true. like that. And, and lots of people nowadays, like they don't just, it's not the days of, of yesteryear where you'd bring like, a 2-4 or a 12-pack, like everybody, oh, I'm going to try this, then I'm going to try this. People like to wander around the different tastes and the different uh, various beers, but uh, craft beer, huge right now. I don't, I don't know. I just can't. I, I mean, I'm into it. I'll have one here and there, but I just, you know, I, I am I bad because I just like a normal no. Coors Light You're or a banquet? Coors or, Banquet guy. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Just, uh, I'm just an easy. We have yeah. uh, much like our editorial commitments on this show. But I do support local. Our beer fridge reflects diversity of oh, thought, of course. taste, opinion, yeah. preference. Lots of local vendors in our power. fridge. You got it. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've, we've been um, slammed our inbox in the last while with uh, responses to some of the things that we've been talking about. And, and that really reminds us of uh, the importance of setting aside time to give you the mic, you know, to hand over the platform. And, 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 and really, I think, to, to prove that the conversations that we're having are resonating with people in big ways. And so we wanted to get into our Real Talk mailbag here real quick on a couple of items. Uh, we got this one from Mike, which I thought was really interesting. This came through on Monday. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can email us. Uh, I don't know that we had had really spent a ton of time talking about this, but it's something that people have been musing about in particular uh, following the most recent 
provincial election in Alberta, and that is whether or not the Alberta NDP needs a rebrand. Number one, I think that we can expect at some point in the next few months, probably, and maybe I shouldn't even say few, maybe I'll be a little less committal. Uh, Sometime in the next several months, there will be a development, I think, that would trigger a leadership race with the Alberta NDP. That's just a hunch that I have. Um, That's one way of rebranding a party, new leadership. Uh, Another is completely changing everything, the name, the colors, the logo, whether or not that translates with people, you know, you might suggest that that could just be easily dismissed by critics. I could see what the political opponents would say. You know, they're now called the party, but it's still your daddy's NDP or it's still your grandma's NDP. That's what the political opponents would say, right? Your daddy's NDP. Somebody's going to put that on a T-shirt. I don't like the sound of that. So Mike says... I'm strongly in favor of the idea of rebranding or remodeling or re-whatevering the Alberta NDP. Mike says, I absolutely think they need to disassociate from the federal NDs and also clearly publicly state a claim in the center of Alberta politics. After briefly reading up on Alberta's progressive future and listening to the strategists debate the idea's merit last week, says Mike, I propose that somebody from Alberta's progressive future debate Corey Hogan on Real Talk, Mike says. But here's the caveat. I don't get a great vibe from this Brian Malkinson guy who's probably the group leader and spokesperson. He's kind of the classic NDP candidate who works really hard, completely knows his stuff, but doesn't really present well. And so I'm a little worried that wordsmith Hogan would dismantle him. I'm a bit torn. Malkinson, by the way, a former MLA, uh, says I'm a bit torn, but I wanted to dump this in your lap uh, so you could potentially turn this idea into podcast gold. That from Mike. You think a rebrand of the Alberta NDP would accomplish anything? Like a logo change? Well, or just like, like it, would an be overall... a, it would be a name change. It would be a logo change. Yeah. With it may come well, an opportunity to sort of to, to sort of more clearly state where they sit on the ideological or on the political spectrum, let me say. Yeah, because the Alberta NDP is different from NDP anywhere in the country. Big time. I, I think everyone everyone says that and knows it, but I think the majority of people, maybe younger voters who are coming into voting age and some people just expect... They, they associate it with, with the feds, right? Yeah. With the federal NDP. But now, they're not. They're, they're right. They're, they're more pro-pipeline, at least of course. F- from a leadership standpoint, standpoint they have. And they haven't got a lot of credit for that. Rachel Notley never really got credit for being as, as she got sort one. of pro-pipeline as she was. Um, but I would say you would run the risk, and this is something I'm sure they've had these conversations, you do run the risk of losing the left, mm. right? Now, you, you could say, well, where's the left going to go? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and in so many ways, as, as right now, the UCP may run the risk of losing the moderates, mm-hmm. but then also their strategists are probably saying, well, where are the moderates going to go? They didn't obviously go to the Alberta party, no. rest, rest in peace, <laughs> right? RIP. So, so you've got two parties now. I'm, 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 the NDP has to be salivating at the, at the possibility, though it's no possibility at all. They wouldn't surrender it, but of, of being able to take that. There's no name as good as the Alberta party. Right. It's like the Saskatchewan <laughs> it's party. Great. It's just really good. Just get that NDP logo, make the P into like a pipe that goes around and then put a little hard hat, like a worker's hat on a the pump end. jack on yeah. top that, that just <laughs> turns the P into it. Yeah. All right. This from Ron. And Ron's talking about obviously one of about the most serious stuff that we're talking about on the show right now, and that's the Israel Hamas war. And uh, he says, uh, I want to be clear out of the gates. Uh, I'm not justifying, advocating, uh, certainly not celebrating the historic displacement of Palestinians, the destruction of Palestinian property 
or the deaths of Palestinian civilians. What the IDF under the government of Benjamin Netanyahu is doing in Gaza is horrifying. Indiscriminate bombing of civilian areas is horrifying. Deaths of innocent Palestinians is horrifying. Same as the events of October 7th perpetrated by Hamas. The videos that have emerged are horrifying. In no world is what happened on October 7th justifiable. It is not a brave act of resistance against an oppressor. It was a cowardly attack on Israeli civilians by an organization looking for any reason to justify their actions. This should not be up for debate. Ron says, I see people emotional uh, taking sides based on those emotions. And I must stress pragmatism. Along with the immediate release of all Israeli hostages held by Hamas in Gaza, the cessation of Israeli air attacks on Palestinian civilian areas and the immediate arrest and trial of Hamas leadership, along with an internationally supported investigation into the Israel government's response, the Israeli government's response. Uh, Ron says, I've had these thoughts for a long time. Uh, and after many of my friends largely agreed with points that were made in that letter that was signed by the director of the U of A Sexual Assault Support Center, I just can't stay silent. I can't in good conscience agree with any of it or stay silent considering the events that were a prelude to this entire conflict. And even though the events of October 7th weren't the trigger point for this latest round of violence, that's a discussion for another day, that from Ron. There's a bit of a timely element to this. Um, there's an event, it's a private event that's happening tonight in Edmonton where some elected officials and some members of the media have been invited to view video uh, that is being released by the Israeli government, uh, body cam footage uh, from cameras worn by Hamas terrorists on October 7th. Uh, these videos have been screened in many cities around the world. Um, and, uh, of course, on the Israeli side of the coin, I hate even using the word side, but from the Israeli perspective uh, this video, uh, these videos, which would, and I've read from journalists, uh, national journalists like Matt Gurney is one example off the top of my head that have seen these videos, um, that have seen them uh, and have had very, very mixed feelings about watching them because it's not mm -hmm. the type of video that you will ever forget. Uh, obviously, very difficult to watch. This, this, this is, is horrific crime scene footage. Uh, much of the video are, are crimes being perjured. What we're talking about is is murders happening on camera. Um, and uh, And on the flip side of this, um, I see that uh, there have been uh, protests that are organized tonight, uh, demonstration organized at or near where this video is going to be screened. And um, I just have, uh, as probably most people do, uh, a huge pit in my stomach right now. Uh, I understand the reasoning behind showing this video. I understand the perspective that people have in demonstrating against this uh, people saying that all this video is is trying to create uh, justification um, I saw in one person's words in in correspondence to this show uh, trying to create or perpetrate justification for the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians mm. I just really uh, I'm getting more and more and I don't really quite have the adequate word I guess maybe nervous uh, devastated, disheartened. These are all inadequate words. But about where this is going, um, you're going to have tonight people demonstrating and protesting outside a private event uh, that is displaying footage of a terrorist attack 
happening of people being killed on camera. It's it's really all bad. Got to the point where we as a talk show know that we need to have these conversations, but almost every time that we do, it feels like we're kicking a hornet's nest in a different direction. I just I don't see why you need a private event to show horror first of all, but secondly, the protest of it, this is just all bad. But it, like again, I don't want to say this side, that side. It's all bad. Children dying, women dying, people going through horrible things. But the fact, and I'll say this, that Israel is showing us this is because they've been asked to prove things. Yeah. I mean, we saw a video come out just yesterday of the Hamas tunnel underneath Al-Shafia Hospital because they're being asked, they're being pushed every day on social media and through the media to prove things and then when they prove it, it's protested again. I just, it's all bad. It's, it's, there's, there's no winning here. There's no winning here. You're right. We talked to Ariella Kimmel and Kristen Rayworth uh, this week about that. And uh, Ariella, you know, essentially asking you, the audience, a, a question. Why has Israel, and think, why has Israel been required to prove things like reports of sexual assault when other groups haven't? Um, it's a difficult uh, episode to listen to because of the subject matter. And of course, this hit close to home with, um, as you heard here first on Real Talk, four people being fired uh, from the Sexual Assault Support Center at the University of Alberta after that center, that organization signed on to that letter calling into question the validity of claims of sexual assault uh, by Hamas perpetrated on Israeli citizens on the 7th of October. I wanted to fact check something, and we checked in uh, with people that work in this space in Edmonton. Uh, there's a lot of talk online, and, and, and I just feel like the dialogue on Twitter has just been in a nosedive for like the last two, three, four years. And so I always sort of try to take it with a grain of salt, but you will see people, and I'm going to get a little bit local here, talking about Edmonton in particular, uh, people arguing that the Sexual Assault Center at the University of Alberta has been closed down, that it's losing its resources, that the reporting line, the, the support line, the phone numbers have been disconnected. None of this is true. Uh, the center is not losing its funding. The center is still operating, and there still are supports available. Uh, there's a lot of people out there right now that are taking these opportunities um, to throw their own barbs, um, to launch their own personal attacks, and to muddy the waters with misinformation. And, and that is simply not true. The center is continuing its good work, and there's other work in this space being done by agencies across the city, across the province, and, of course, across the country. Many of them uh, good friends of this show, and you've heard them here on past Real Talk episodes. You can always send us a note. If you hear something on this show that uh, you're not sure how it lands with you, you want to feel a little bit, uh, you, you'd like to see more debate, you'd like to see more discussion, more nuance maybe, you'd like to bring a different perspective to the table, we're easy to find. Our email is talk at ryanjesperson.com. Of course, you can hit us up on our social channels as well. We wouldn't be able to do the show without the support of partners like our friends at Friesen Brothers. They're coming up on 70 years of family ownership, if you can believe it. And we want to remind you that Granny Loveson's Bergenland Christmas Cake is available at all 16 locations across the province. This is an annual treat with a rich tradition. 
There is nothing like Granny Loveson's Christmas cake. And Johnny, you know, there are those people out there that try to bake Christmas cake on their own and it just doesn't work. Nobody has the heart to tell them. Granny Loveson had this figured out years ago. Are we talking about fruitcake here? What are I'm we talking about? about traditional Christmas fruitcake. Okay. And this recipe comes with the flavors of Bergenland, Austria. That's right. You know, they start this cake's journey in August, if you can believe it. Jeez. That's when they start soaking the fruits and the spices to infuse it with a, a rich history and an unrivaled flavor. This cake is a one-of-a-kind cake, only available for a limited time while stock lasts. It's available right now. That's Granny Loveson's Christmas Cake at Friesen Brothers, Alberta Grown and Alberta Owned. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy are putting out the call for experienced electricians as well as those that are working through apprenticeship programs right now. If you're looking to launch a career or kickstart your career, continue your career in a space that is doing nothing but growing, you're going to want to check out the careers link at kubienergy.ca. This is a company that is growing faster than any other solar installer in Western Canada. They're young and they're reshaping the energy portfolio in Canada. They work out of head offices in Edmonton, Alberta, Kamloops, BC. They've also got a beautiful new office in Calgary. They're providing the latest clean energy solutions for homes and businesses at Kubi. They keep the pace fast and the beer cold. It's not like any other solar installer you'll find. You can apply today. Learn more about working at Kubi at kubienergy.ca. At Complete Care Restoration, they know that they've made a name in fire and flood restoration. I mean, they're very proud of it. It's what they've been doing for more than a decade. But we're here to remind you that they do more than that. They're also experts in all construction and renovation projects, which means that maybe you're looking for something like a new bathroom. Maybe you need to redo your kitchen, or maybe you've got an entire floor of an office building and you just feel like that could be reinvented. People aren't coming back to work in the way that they were. You see all these headlines about an affordable housing crisis and you see opportunity. The team at Complete Care Restoration can help turn that into reality. They can help you transform your assets and maximize where the market's at right now. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. Find out why you should choose them for your renovation project. And if your construction project is going to be focusing more on the outdoors as opposed to the indoors, we encourage you to bring your outdoor space to life like my family did with Eden Landscaping. We were saving up for a few years. This wasn't something we were going to do right away, but when it came time to get our backyard in the shape we always wanted it, we worked with Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping to make it happen. They're a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area, which means you're getting the best in the business, and they're great listeners. That's the best part about it. I was the nightmare, John. I was the guy that changed a couple of things mid-project, and to see them roll with it, it made me really proud to be partnering with them. I know, you know what one of the big ones was? We just had a huge drainage issue, and it didn't completely flare up until the construction was underway, and we were realizing we were changing the dynamic of the backyard to see how they adjusted the plan to accommodate for that Mm. and and, and ensure that it was all going to flow seamlessly, literally, I was totally impressed. You can find Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Shout out to Mama Hicks, who makes a fruitcake every year. Is that right? She puts the booze in it and everything. And, you know, I don't know if... 
I don't know. I'm not a fruitcake expert, but the whole thing falls apart. I don't care. I eat every little crumb. I see. I see. There's a there's people a are split on major, fruitcake. There's fruitcake a major is debate like on fruitcake in the chat right now. Other things that people don't agree on. Scott here says fruitcake's great with cheese. What? That's interesting. Have you ever had apple pie with cheddar cheese? Of course. You oh, used to dude. put a slice on there. It's one all of the time. greatest. Yeah. One of the greatest. Uh, Brian uh, says no fruitcake for me. Uh, meantime, other people are, are here. Like Sylvia says that her fruitcake is soaking in rum as we speak. Oh, that's the uh, good Sylvia, stuff. you can shoot us a fruitcake at Suite 209 it's at 1035. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> love it. Love it. Hey, love it. Welcome to uh, season four tomorrow, buddy. Thanks, Congratulations. Buddy. Tomorrow's a big day. Tomorrow's it's hard day. to believe that three years ago on November 23rd, mm-hmm. episode one of Real Talk. Can you believe it's been three years? We hear from the, 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 there's there's a few of you, a handful of you that claim and I have no reason to disbelieve your claim that you have caught every single episode of the show. Wow. And that absolutely blows my mind. And- what we'll do is we'll set up a lie detector test. <laughs> And if you'd like to claim <laughs> that you've seen or listened to every single episode and you pass the polygraph, you too will be invited to the Super Chat kegger. Well, if you do want to try and, and hit that record of watching every single episode, I think there's like 275 every season. Uh, we have adjusted our Apple Podcasts and Spotify now, so you can go all the way back. You used to only be able to go back 100 or 150 so episodes. You can go all the way back to episode one now, so go have at her. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Um, somebody came up to me at a recent event uh, that we were at, and, and she said uh, she was trying to go back in our archive. She wanted to share a podcast with mm-hmm. somebody, and realized she hadn't been able to search back past 100 episodes. Mm-hmm. We weren't even, that wasn't even really no, on our radar. And so uh, to that person who we reached out to personally, we thank them for helping us improve our product, uh, which is what we always want to do. We want to make Real Talk more accessible to more people so these conversations have even more of an impact. And you can help us with that as well by clicking like on the YouTube episodes, by sharing the podcast, and by telling your friends where you're getting the best conversation in Western Canada. Coming up on tomorrow's episode of Real Talk, we're going to check in with Seth Klein. He's, in my mind, one of Canada's smartest energy commentators. We're going to talk about the future of the carbon tax. We're going to talk about the feds saying that they're going to appeal the Supreme Court's ruling on the toxic plastic ban. And we'll basically, I guess, talk about, you know, that light little subject matter, the, the future of human life on planet Earth. We hope that you'll join us. Don't worry, Friday's roundtable is nice and light and super fun. We'll see you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.